0: Welcome to Focus on Success with Fozzie Acosti. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fozzie Acosti.
1: Hi, welcome. And before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to all our international listeners in China and the Netherlands and um in Scotland and New Zealand, wherever you're at. Thank you for listening. Without you, this would not be possible. And today we have a very different um topic that we're going to talk about. We have Scott Lapierre, um, and we are going to talk about finances. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about Scott. He is a teaching pastor um, of Woodland Christian Church in Woodland, Washington. He's an author and a conference speaker. He holds a master's in biblical studies from Liberty University. Scott and his wonderful wife, Katie, have nine children, and they are very passionate homeschoolers, and they advocate for homeschooling. Um, Scott is a former school teacher and an army officer. So welcome to the show, Scott. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about finances.
2: Yes, thank you, Fozzie. I'm really glad to be here.
1: You know, I, I'm I'm excited to hear your perspective because I know you have kind of this uh, theological perspective that mm-hmm. that you bring to the uh, to the table. So let's talk a little bit more about you. Everyone has a journey that they take. Everyone has mm-hmm. a story. What's your story? How how did you get to where you're at today?
2: Good. So I, I grew up in Northern California. My wife and I grew up together, and I really enjoyed even even when I was in school coaching. I was involved in sports, and I enjoyed coaching some of the younger teams, which was Kind of set me up to enjoy teaching when I got older and continuing coaching. And like you said, I was an officer in the military, which also involves an amount of um, teaching and leadership and training and so forth. Sure. And then when I got out of the military, I started. That's when I began teaching elementary school. So I went college, military, and then teaching and coaching. And during that time, I became a Christian and found the same passion for teaching and instructing. But I really wanted to be teaching people the Bible versus so telling people to open their Bibles versus just telling kids to open their math and science books, although I did definitely enjoy being an elementary school teacher. Um, And so as a teaching pastor, I, I, just like it sounds, I do most of the teaching or preaching for the church. We have another pastor or other elders who help with more of the counseling and discipling. And kind of in the world of pastoring or preaching, you might have a couple different approaches to preaching where some people kind of have notes, some pastors just sort of have abbreviated notes of what they're going to say, just a phrase to jar their memory, and they kind of get up there and And, uh, I don't want to say wing it, but it might be a little more off the cuff. And then another approach would be writing out your notes pretty thoroughly. And I'm in that category of writing out my notes very thoroughly. And so I go up there almost with like a manuscript. I don't have to read it. I think it's extemporaneous, but because I've been working on that manuscript all week, I'm very familiar with it by the time I preach it. And so I'd end up with these very polished and refined manuscripts. And my wife was frequently telling me, Hey, you know, you really should turn some of these into books someday. And so my most recent book that was published last month is Your Finance is God's Way. And there's a, a biblical guide to making the best use of your money. And there's an accompanying workbook. And that's largely drawn from the sermons that I preached at, um, at my church. So there's a lot, of, a lot of practical instruction and so forth relating to managing our money or being good stewards, but uh, uh, also a lot that's drawn from scripture, drawn from God's word. And again, okay. and we have nine children too, like you said. So we got married. Wow yeah I know some people like that. Yeah, that's a response from that's kind of my response too to be honest with you <laughs> you know <laughs> I was, I was looking, heading to work this morning and my kids keep you know coming up to the door to say goodbye and give me a kiss and so forth and just keep I, I, going. <laughs> yeah there's this one day I looked at this it's funny I looked at this family photo of these people and they had they had I was like, wow, they sure have a lot of kids and they had seven kids and I was like, I can't believe that I have more kids than that you know so wow my, my wife and I got married and we just had the conviction to let God. You know, give us what he wanted to give us when he wanted to give it to us, and some, some, and not a commentary on what other people should or shouldn't do. And, you know, he could have given us three or four kids. Uh, it's been, it's been nine. You know, my wife turned 40 last year, so we don't, we don't know if we'll have any more. We'll feel blessed if we do, but maybe this is it. But yeah, just wanted what God wanted God to basically build our family for us and have his fingerprints on it. So,
1: So, yeah, thank you for for sharing your story. I think it's wonderful that you and your wife have known each other for so long. It gives that depth to your relationship Mm -hmm. and you have this wonderful foundation. So my question to you is, why finances? What what is it, you know, how did finances come into your view to allow you to share your expertise with others?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And interestingly, you know, as a pastor, people could come into church And say, hey, you know, we're going to, because I told you these, the book was drawn from my sermons. And so people could come in and say, hey, you know, I thought we're going to be listening to sermons on something spiritual, like prayer, forgiveness, or worship, or or love, or any number of things that they see kind of um, more spiritually than than finances. But really, yeah, but really, it should be God's word that determines for us what is spiritual and the frequency something occurs in scripture would indicate what is more or less spiritual in a sense. So something comes up frequently that tells you it's important to God. He wants it to be important to us. And there are a few topics in scripture that come up as frequently as finances do. And so because of that, I, that's, so I, I see finances as a major topic. If I'm going to you know preach the Bible, then I've, I better be preaching finances. That's one reason. And the second reason is, as a pastor, you, you really want to know your congregation, spend time with these people, love them be familiar with their lives. And one of the most common topics that comes up in conversations or in counseling is finances. It's something that everyone you know can relate to. If Someone can come and they can talk to me about t- t- struggling with anger, or someone else can have a, a parenting pro- question, or someone else can be dealing you know, with pride or covetousness. Uh, but uh, everyone deals with finances because everyone has to make money, spend money. And so it's just applicable to everyone's lives in, inside the church and outside the church.
1: And we really just can't get away with not dealing with money. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me, um, like, how, how did you become an expert on finances? Good.
2: Well, it's always been a, a point of interest for me. I can remember when I was a kid, having some money saved up and putting it in, in a CD, reading a book on stocks and investments from like the youngest age. I was, a, and then I, I went into business or I was a business major in college I really enjoyed my finance and investing classes and banking classes that I took. And so I've, I've always just been interested in, in money. Not, not I wouldn't say that I really had a strong desire to, to be rich or anything, but I wanted to be able to, you know, hopefully not have to kill myself working and still have enough money to, to take care of my family. So I just, it was always a passion of mine. I've always found investing interesting. And so I was studying it, um, reading it, you know, learning about it, investing myself, making some mistakes. And then after I became a Christian, seeing the God's word talked a lot about, about money. And so that's how I developed so much familiarity. And then counseling, seeing what, people, what works for people, what doesn't, what are the most common problems that people deal with. I really think that anyone that wants to be, I believe you said the word expert or professional on a topic, should have interaction with people and see what people are dealing with and experiencing. I mean, that's one of the, you can read books and that's great. And you definitely should, or you can go to school, but there's, and that's why most professions, there's a point at which you learn, but then you start dealing with people, right? You know, lawyers, doctors, Mm -hmm. dentists, they start to learn the profession they're dealing with people. And so it was really beneficial for me to be dealing with people regarding their finances.
1: So let's talk a little bit about the book. Tell me about the process that you talk about in the book. Tell me a little bit about how people should manage their money. And is this a way that, you know is this a process you follow personally? Is this your mm-hmm. process?
2: Yeah. So for any of your listeners that might ever think about writing books or publishing books, I'll tell you that if you're looking for a publisher, then one of the first things they're going to ask you is, and I am getting to answer your question, thanks to your patience while I give kind of a roundabout answer. Sure. <laughs> um, a publisher is going to ask you what separates your book apart from all the other books on this topic. I mean, you, obviously, there's lots of other finance books. There's plenty of other names that come to mind, and so a publisher wants to know well, why would people buy your book versus versus Ron Blue or versus uh, Dave Ramsey or Larry Burkett. You know, when I wrote my marriage book, Your Marriage God's Way, it's, the question is why would you, why would uh, people want to buy your marriage book versus these other ones? What sets it apart? There's hundreds or thousands of marriage books out there, and so I had to, I had to answer that with my marriage book and with my finance book, and one of the and one of the things I think that made me more credible uh, was my life, that I was a school teacher, which never most people know, school teachers don't make tons of money. And then I was a pastor, and pastors obviously don't make a lot of money, and we have nine kids, and most people don't have nine kids. And so to take care of nine kids on a single income teacher salary and then pastor's salary and homeschool them, I think it was like, well, you know, this guy probably knows what he's talking about, or else he wouldn't be able to. You know, put food on the table. And so we, we definitely follow it. There's a lot in my book and this, this would apply whether you're a Christian or not uh, about sacrifice and self-control and being patient. I mean, you could, you could be a Christian or non-Christian, you could be rich or you can be poor, but if you don't have self-control and you don't have patience, your money's not going to last long. I mean, there's people that do make a lot of money, but you wouldn't know they make a lot of money because they don't, they lack self-control and, and wisdom with their finances. So their money doesn't go very far.
1: That is a very true statement. Um, yeah, I definitely see that a lot. Um, you know, my my aunt when she was younger, she used to uh, she used to she she loved to buy things. And and I think when she was in college, she realized she didn't have the finances to buy everything she wanted. So one of the things that she did was she would look at something and say, "Hmm, I love this mug, but do I need this mug? Would my life be okay without this mug?" And Mm -hmm. if she could answer certain questions, then that would help her make that decision whether or not she would make the purchase. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was great that she put that patience into there, that thought process into there, and really made a conscious decision on whether or not the purchase needed to be made. Mm -hmm. So I I thought that was fascinating. Um, You've written about most people have a spending problem versus Mm -hmm. an income problem. And we talked a little bit about that. But tell me more about what that means. And, and mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about what are the biggest spending problems people have.
2: Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and this came from counseling, being surprised that people who were coming in had a considerable amount of money, in my mind, off, often more than me. And they were having trouble seeing uh, where all of it was going, why they didn't have enough money at the end of the month. And you, you kind of, and so I tell people if I meet with them about finances, I say, you need to come in, bring the last three months of, of, you know, your budget or your spending and income so we can take a look at it and seeing, you know, intuitively, so I've kind of swung on this pendulum. I used to, used to kind of expect people are going to come in and they just don't make much money. And that's the problem. But then over time, just seeing, no, people often have have a good amount of money, so they don't have an income problem. They have spending problems. And I know you have this international audience, and so I want to be sensitive to them. But I will say for your listeners who are in the United States, and some of the wealthier countries, these are people that, if you're in the United States, you're, you're not just the wealthiest people in the world, you're the wealthiest people throughout all of human history. I mean, most Americans enjoy a level of extravagance or lifestyle that's unparalleled throughout the rest of the world and throughout human history. And so when I'm dealing with Americans who tell me, well, I don't make enough money, which is what most people will say, you, know, you want to be candid with them and say, actually, you're pretty much Extravagant or rich compared to a lot of other people, and so yeah. it's an issue. It's an issue of, go ahead and something you No,
1: know, I was going to say a lot of people live like kings, and they don't really realize that that is a very true statement. There are kings in other countries that do not live as well as some just average people here in the United States.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the level, the poverty level in the United States, interestingly, for many people who are below it, are still enjoying a lifestyle that is better than. Most people throughout the rest of the world, and pretty much everyone throughout human history, mm-hmm. people who are considered below the poverty line are still able to enjoy many things that are considered luxuries to others, so whether it's mm-hmm. cell phones, whether it's televisions, whether it's um, computers. And so
1: agreed because, absolutely.
2: And so because most of my ministry is to to my church or to Americans, and then I point them point out that you you typically have a spending problem versus or spending problems. Versus, versus income problems, and if you want to talk about um, what the what exactly those spending problems are, one of the first ones I noticed quickly is is uh, small purchases that people make they and there's there's a reason it's really easy to um, lose money or have a spending problem associated with small purchases that add up because it's very easy to just say what to say well it's just it's ten bucks or twenty bucks or it's just 30 coffee. Bucks. <laughs> That's I exactly think, right. I, so I, think I think most I people know. spend a lot
1: of money on coffee. You know, yeah.
2: If you, we, I, we won't I,
1: mention the stores they go to, but they do. They spend a lot uh, of money on coffee. Yep,
2: yeah. and that's that's actually what the main example or the the pr- premier example I give in my book that the individual <laughs> who who stops to get coffee five days per week, you know, over about five years, has spent seven thousand dollars on coffee and that, that's kind of shocking to people, but it really adds up. And so if you just, let's just say this guy's name is Brian and and Brian is, you know, stopping to get coffee on the way to work each day. And he does this for those years. And then he tells his friend, you know, that he works with, Hey, I, we need, we should make more money. You know, we don't make enough money here. The boss should pay me more. Basically, I don't have a spending problem. I have an income problem. And if you kind of push back against Brian and say, what about all this money, you know, you're spending on, on coffee, he'll, he'll, what will he say? He'll say, well, it's just five bucks or you know, it's just 20, 20 bucks or 25 bucks over the course of the week, not recognizing how much it adds up, adds up over time. And then, and I mean, and obviously uh, Fozzie, that's just coffee. This isn't adding in the Netflix subscription subscriptions, the extra items we buy at the store. We were planning to go to the store just to buy this and we pick up all these other items. Um, it's, it's the times that we eat out or go to the movies. And, and I think I was, I, I wonder if I could find it in here, but the, the main movie chain AMC Entertainment it's America's most popular movie theater chain. So I'm using their prices. The average movie costs $26 per person. 11 bucks for the ticket, $6 soda, $9 popcorn. So that's over $50 for a couple. As soon as you start adding kids, especially if we try to do that, you're looking at quickly being over, you know, 100 bucks for just two kids. And and so I I don't think that can really be justified when there is um, you know, and we're not really big on movies, but that, that can't be justified when there's Netflix or movie rental or something that's only going to be going to be a few bucks. And so all of those things just, you know, really add up over time. So that's the main, that's the first spending problem. People have small purchases that add up. The second spending problem that we have is worthless purchases that, and by worthless, I, I think it's really important that I define that word. And if I'm talking too much or anything, just let me know or raise your hand. Oh, no, or, no, or I, or feel free. Okay. So when I say small when I say worthless, I mean worthless to the person. I don't mean the item itself is worthless because what's worthless to someone can be very valuable to or beneficial to someone else. Sure. So I'm talking about purchases that are worthless to the person that bought it. And the way we determine that is by thinking about what benefit this item had for the purchaser or the buyer sometime down the road. And so if you buy something, Even if it's incredibly interesting, valuable, uh, beneficial to others, but you never use it or it sits in the corner or in the garage or in the shed or in that storage shed for weeks, months, years, then that was a worthless purchase for you. And so it's really just defining what benefit purchases have for us. And I think most of us know whether it's extra clothes or shoes or or items or tools that we bought, they're worthless and that we never did anything with them. We, I always
1: think of kids' <laughs> toys. You know, you, you go, people take their kids to Target and they get those last minute little tiny toys. Mm-hmm. Well, by the time they've come home, they've already thrown it away.
2: Yeah. I t- I share a, a story in my book, and you would ask me to share some stories. So I'll I'll share this, yeah, please. this one right here. So when I was an elementary school teacher, I had become a Christian, and so I took a considerable interest. In my students' character, so I didn't want to just teach academics. I wanted to also teach morality and integrity, and so forth, and, and honesty and responsibility, and so and so. The one time every year, or times each year, when I would have the opportunity to teach my students, because I taught fourth and fifth grade, so it wasn't like high school where I could go teach, you know, um, banking or something like that. I'm, de- I'm dealing with these fourth and fifth graders, and the op- the main opportunities I had each year to talk to them about finances occurred when we went on field trips and so i would i've thought happen every year and i would tell my students i'd say today you came to school differently than every other year your parents gave you money for the field trip you're sitting in here and you're all excited because you got this you know 20 30 40 50 bucks i don't know how much in your pockets and i'm going to tell you what not to do and i'm going to tell you what every many students in the past have done even though i've told given them the same speech and i'll say you're going to go there and there's going to be a, a you know, um, a tourist shop or like a souvenir, that's the word I was looking for a souvenir shop. Everything's going to look very fancy and sparkly and shiny for you. And you're going to want to go and, and spend your money there. And I'm telling you that you're going to buy that souvenir and you were not even going, you're not even going to get home tonight before you're, you're tired of it. And the reason that I recognize this is because when the students, we drive back to the school on the bus and then you get off the bus and, you make sure all the students get off the bus and then you kind of walk up and down the aisle and look in the seats to make sure that the kids didn't leave backpacks or, or watches or wallets or things like that. And most of those seats were a little littered with what? Just the things they just bought. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff they bought at the souvenir shop. And so the point is they, you don't leave something that's incredibly valuable to you, at least not deliberately. You leave the things you're bored of that you no longer have interest in. And they're, they're leaving these things on the seats. And I would tell the students, Hey, you're you're gonna buy this, and then you're just not even gonna care about it a few hours later. And kids can do that with toys, and it's very easy for us. And we should recognize kids do that in our parenting to help prevent our kids from from doing that. But we should recognize that the same thing happens with adults. If we oh, if absolutely. We, <laughs> if we buy something, you know, we're at Target or Walmart, and those extra items and we don't use them, or then that's we're we're making that same mistake. And so that's one of the second things I saw was um, worthless purchases to add up. I mean, if you think of all the thousands of dollars we could probably save if we didn't um, purchase things that we don't use, it would be it'd be a lot of money. And interestingly, are, are you aware of one of the one of the fastest growing industries, at least in the United States, it's warehouses, it's self storage warehouses. I should have said.
1: Oh, where and, people store their things. I yeah. Did not know that. That's that's fascinating to me. You know, as you were talking though, I was thinking about how uh, when my kids were little, you know, I, I would hang out with other parents and their kids would always buy things or their logic was well we can't find your red shirt so let's just get you another one or we can't find and what would happen is they would just end up with so much stuff that they couldn't find anything because they had so much stuff so they would just go buy more stuff oh wow (laughs) you know and i remember my daughter wanted to do something similar when she was about six or seven And my mom and my, she was with my parents and my parents said to her, if you buy everything you want, you're going to end up living in a warehouse. You have to be particular about the things you purchase. So yeah. So what are you trying to say that people are just storing things in their warehouses?
2: (laughs) I I think that's a a fantastic point that you just made. I I hadn't even thought about that. And I'm almost thinking like, boy, I wish I would have put that in my book. You know, Maybe if I do another another edition, I'll I'll add that. But you're right. What happens is you end up, well, there's studies they've done on the anxiety mm-hmm. that's caused by clutter and, oh, so, yeah. and messiness. And you kind of feel it. You know, you feel peace when your house is orderly and, and organized and you feel anxiety when you walk in and there's stuff everywhere and clutter. And, and so that's one of the other downsides. to. And then the problem is, like you said, I mean, I feel like I'm just repeating what you said, but when you can't find something, then you're like, okay, well, I'll just go buy, go buy something new. Which yeah, then that T-shirt adds, is,
1: is only $10, or it, 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 that's the mindset. It's only,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, as if it's okay to buy it twice because you couldn't find it. <laughs> but the problem is, why can't you find it?
2: Mm-hmm. And then that adds to, to greater clutter. When I read this mm-hmm. article. it's It was titled, uh, Self-Storage, How Warehouses for Personal Junk Became a $38 Billion, <laughs> billion dollar Industry. And it says, despite recessions, demographic shifts, few building types have boomed, like self-storage lockers. The self-storage industry made $33 billion in 2016, nearly three times Hollywood's box office gross. Self-storage has seen an 8% annual growth since 2018 and now employs almost 100,000 people nationwide. One in 11 Americans pay an average of $92 per month to use self-storage. So that's almost $100 per month people are paying for storage for stuff to store stuff that they don't use and have probably forgotten about and don't, you know, so.
1: Is it because they're buying too much, you know, uh, uh, and and they just have nowhere to put it or is it because they're downsizing? Like I've noticed quite a few people over the last few years have downsized and they feel like this downsizing is temporary. So what Mm -hmm. they do is they take their things and they put it in a storage locker.
2: Well, I think if that's, if that's the case, and I do think there are people doing that. And I do think that's a good approach to, we we actually, I'll show oh, you want another story. I'll share another story here with you briefly. So we've been really close with my parents. They uh, became Christians soon after I did. I was able to baptize them and they came up, they left, we were in California. They moved to Washington with us. And then my dad passed away unexpectedly last year. And no, my mom sorry. was, thank you. My mom was, really lonely. I'd go over to see her at night because they live pretty close to us. And I told Katie, I said, Hey, you know, mom's been struggling since, since dad passed. What would you think about her maybe moving in with us? And we expect we'd probably take care of her in the future anyway. And so, yeah, she, she moved in with us because she was lonely before, but she's not lonely now living in a house with nine kids. (laughs) And so, so we had to sell our house to, and then we started renting a house uh, while we looked for a house that we could move into. But the thing is, as you can you know probably guess, Fazia is people don't want to rent to someone with nine kids and three adults, and my mom had a has a little dog, and so we were only able to find this house that was forty five hundred square feet, which is you know incredibly large, um, even for our family. It was just like so much space. You know, I could lose my kids, and where are they? Up here, you know. <laughs> And so we rented that house. And then last week was when you just moved into our new house, oh, which congrats. is.
1: Congratulations. Thank you.
2: Thank you. And there's a in-law quarters for my, for my mom. But what I was going to say was we're actually enjoying the smaller house more because it's easier to just not have stuff spread out everywhere. And, and we're closer as a family. And so downsizing, there are advantages. It's, it's interesting. I thought, you know, how are we going to go from 4,500 square feet our living quarters I, I guess is like 27 twenty eight hundred square feet so about you know three kids per bedroom um, so it's it's not super you know um, closed quarters or anything but it's a lot smaller than the other house but we're enjoying it more and then my mom has her own her own area and so the, the but the thing is when we, when it was that big it was just like kind of it was nice to downsize it was nice to not have to keep track of as much and have as much to clean and, and organize so
1: yeah I, I think um... Yeah, I think definitely having, there, there's a certain level of space that gives you a comfort, a feeling of comfort, of coziness. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I I had a similar year to yours where my dad passed away last year. And so my mom had some health issues. And so actually, uh, we just, we went from Arizona to Florida and then eventually ended up in Virginia because she fell a few times and injured herself and she can no longer drive. And so we actually moved in together here in Virginia. <laughs> and so, but uh, we, we have, uh, I think we have around 3000 square feet for the two of us, but we don't even use our second story. Mm. So it's, it's basically become the guest quarters, which is nice for when people come over, mm-hmm. but it's, 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 it's definitely nice to have, you know, a space that makes you feel cozy and, and at home so um, we are wrapping things up for the before the commercial. I would love for you to give your information on how someone can get a copy of your book, uh, Your Finances God's Way, as well as Your Marriage God's Way. How can someone get in touch with you, or how can they get a copy of your book?
2: Yeah, thank you for that opportunity. So yeah, my my book is Your Finances God's Way, a biblical guide to the making the best use of your money, and there's an accompanying workbook. And then Your Marriage, God's Way, A Biblical Guide to a Christ-Centered Relationship. And those are available on, you know, Amazon and lots of people shop there. Barnes & Noble, Christian Book, pretty much wherever books are sold, you can find the books there. If they people want to find out more about me personally, my website is my name, scotlapierra.org. And so maybe if you could, if you put that in the show notes or when this, I know it's live right now, but
1: we'll do um, a banner with your information and we will put the link to your um, either your website or Amazon where they can get a copy of the book. So maybe your your website will be better.
2: Yeah. My website, ScottLepier.org. Then people can reach out to me if they have questions and that's kind of the hub from there. They can find information about my books, my sermons, my conferences so that's just my name, S C O T T L A P I E R R E dot org. And I love to hear from people. And I have a, a free gift there too on a little marriage booklet for people as well.
1: Perfect. Um, thank you for sharing that. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can go to executive function coach And on my website, you can see podcasts from this show. You can also go to our YouTube channel and see the behind the scenes version of our um, of our show today uh you can subscribe to our magazine executive function magazine and we hope that you will because we have our third issue coming out july 10th so if you'd like to see that uh, in your inbox feel free to um go and and and, uh, subscribe and uh, if you are interested in being on the show or you want to write for the magazine Feel free to contact me. My direct number is 480-648-1122. And we will be back after these messages.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
3: If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Bozzi Acosti is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit ExecutiveFunctionCoachAZ.com. Bozzi works with in-person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office, or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fazia, plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com or call 480-648-1122. your world, motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fazi Acosti or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to fazia at az.com. Now, back to Focus on Success.
1: Hi, welcome back. I'm Fazia Costi, and today we are speaking with Scott Lapierre. He has written a book called Your Finances God's Way, and today we are talking to him about finances. So welcome, Scott.
2: Thanks, Fazia. I'm glad to be here with you and your listeners
1: yeah, I'm thrilled to have you. And so uh, we we took a break and uh, we kind of were still in the middle of a conversation when we took the breaks. So I'd like to revisit that a little bit. One of the things that we did not talk about was uh, self entitlement and impatience. And mm-hmm. I know that that's a topic that you would really like to address. So uh, let's go ahead and start with self- entitlement. How does that impact finances?
2: Good. Yeah, so we were we were it's part of a larger discussion about us having spending problems or what what our spending problems typically result from uh, at least for American listeners and some other listeners that might be in wealthier parts of the of the world because I know you have an international audience. Most sure. people have have spending problems versus an income problem. And even even people um, that might, you know, not, aren't even nearly as wealthy as the United States can still have spending problems. I mean, you don't have to make a lot of money to have spending problems. You can, sure. you can make any amount of money and not not be as wise with your finances as you should. And one of the things that I've noticed that can cause the most amount of trouble for people is self entitlement, and that that's simply that attitude of you know I deserve this, I should have this. And I'm not saying that people can't reward themselves. In fact, I would say, it, you know, and I don't know if we'll talk about debt, but if you pay off if you're paying off debt or you have some major accomplishment pay off your house or the, this credit card or these school loans or something like that, you know, that can be a nice time to reward yourself, hopefully not reward yourself so lavishly that you put yourself in, in greater debt, you know, but um, it can be nice, especially if you get your family involved, your kids, and you say, hey, once we pay this off, we're going to plan a trip and we're going to go here. And um, so I'm not I'm not denying the, the benefit of having a, a goal or an incentive that when you reach, you can reward yourself. But sometimes that That entitlement can cause problems when people say, "You know, I, I went through this bad situation or this this person mistreated me, or this bad thing happened in my in my life. And so I deserve this. I should have this. I've worked really hard this week. I was talking to this gentleman, and I knew I knew his family was struggling financially. And we one of the ways we like to care for our congregation is if we think people are struggling financially then we give back to them and help them help. We've had, you know, some families struggle during COVID. And so we've cut checks for, for people, uh, you know, for thousands of dollars at times. And when the father was the main breadwinner and he couldn't work or when medical bills were, were piling up. And so this, I was, we were entertaining giving some money to this gentleman. And I actually, I think every family except for this one, we've given money to. So I was, you want to be a good steward of God's money. I mean, people give this money to the church, they expect it to be to be handled appropriately, handled wisely. So we don't we can't just give money to everyone. Sometimes what people need instead of money is they need to listen to your podcast. They need, you know, to read a finance book. What they don't need more money, what they need is more wisdom. They need to more knowledge so that they can handle their finances well. One of the worst things you can do is take people who have bad financial practices and give them more money because that just gives them more money to make bad choices with. And so the best thing you can do is teach them or train them to handle their their money well, which is why we do this amount of investigating. And so, this gentleman was was uh, we understood was struggling, and I and I started to talk to him, and someone someone had just mentioned to me, you know, him him going out to the movies, without I think like and I found out like by himself without his family, and so and I'm not saying people can't go out to the movies, and I'm not saying that everyone that goes out to the movies has to you know bring their wife and their kids. To me, to be honest, it was a little bizarre this, this guy that's leaving his wife at home with, um, you know, the kids while he's out, you know, she's probably exhausted from being with these kids all day. And so I thought, you know, maybe it'd be better if he went with her or, or even sent her someplace, you know, to relax. But after pressing him, we found out it was a, kind of a, kind of a, he'd done this multiple times and then it was better to, and, and when I asked him to get, to get round, you know, go back to the beginning of why I was sharing this, it had to do with him saying, you know, I deserve this. I worked hard at week at work. I had this, you know, 50 hour, I think maybe even said 60 hour work week. And so I deserved it. And my thought was, well, if you worked 50 or 60 hours, that's a lot of time away from your family. You know, maybe the better thing would be, because if, if you're at work 50, 60 hours, when does your family see you? And then to come home and then to go out to the, you know, the movies each week, I, d- I didn't think that was a very, a very wise approach, um, but it came out when I pressed him about it. He said, you know, I deserve it. I And so entitlement can really be um, problematic. We knew, we knew some people. That had purchased a vehicle they had a vehicle that was worked completely fine for them and the wife went out and she she bought this new vehicle and it really put the family in a in a difficult place financially but her thought was like you know i deserve this i've worked hard to take care of our house and our kids and stuff and so that entitlement mentality can uh, be very problematic increase debt create a lot more stress so you know when you say i deserve this or i've earned it and you buy it then there's a little bit of relief and and joy that comes mm-hmm. with that purchase but when you consider the anxiety and stress that's caused over the coming months or perhaps even years paying off the debt from that, it's definitely not worth it. Um, well, it
1: has a lot to do with, you know, uh, perspective and modeling behavior for your family and kids. And, um, you know, that sense of entitlement, I think, gives you a reward that's short-lived. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's and, and well they're said. not really thinking about the consequences long term. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, especially if it's thousands of dollars of debt you're introducing into your mm-hmm. family or into exactly. your lives. How long is it? Is that is that immediate joy or happiness associated with that purchase worth all the years trying to pay that off? It, it definitely isn't. Um, and then the the fourth spending problem that I've seen is, is uh, impatience. People have spending problems because they're impatient. Many of the bad choices that we make financially could have been avoided if we were we were more patient. So one study. Or one one story, which is a study that I'll share with your listeners. Or have you have you heard of the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment before, by chance? No, I have not. Okay, that. okay. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it sounds I'm pretty hoping commutable. you'll explain it. Yeah, so Stanford conducted this this. Um, I think it's somewhat somewhat famous in that you can go watch videos on YouTube. They bring these, and I would encourage your listeners to do so, or you check it out. It's pretty entertaining. So they bring these students into this, into this room. And they said, or kids, I think it was not students so much, but kids and set them at these, this table. And they do it one at a time and they tell these kids, and there's a little plate in front of them with the marshmallow on it. And they tell the kids that if you will wait, then we will come back and we'll give you a second marshmallow. But if you eat this one, that's the only marshmallow you get. And then they have video of these kids at this table and, it's incredibly entertaining because you're like almost pulling for them as you're watching, like salivating, licking their lips, they're antsy at the table, they're wringing their hands. It's like, you can see the physical, you know, intensity associated with controlling (laughs) themselves. And and sure enough, everyone falls into, you know, one or two, one or two categories. There's those kids that, that end up uh, eating the marshmallow. And then there's those that wait. And so, so then uh, 20 years later, or over the next 20 years, Stanford followed all of these children to determine their life outcomes or how well they had done. And so I'm just going to read, I'm just going to read um, what, what the study produced about this.
1: Okay. And
2: it, it said in follow-up studies on the children, when they were older, the researchers found the children who waited tended to have quote, better life outcomes measured by SAT scores, emotional attainment, body mass index, and other life measures. So with their patients or their inpatients dramatically affected their behaviors or lifestyles later in life.
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah. So self-control. And the other, one of the things I noticed is many people who have a purchase that they regret, they don't have to wait, you know, three months, six months, a year, two years to regret it. Most of the regret associated with a bad purchase occurs within the first two weeks Mm
1: -hmm. of the
2: purchase. And so that's why one of the things I've told people is be patient. And if there's a major purchase, if you can wait two weeks, then you'll probably have a better indication of whether you should make the purchase or not. And there are lots of times when someone is committed, you know, convinced they want to buy something, they wait the two weeks and then they're totally thrilled that they didn't buy it because they realize in that two weeks, what a mistake it would have been. And so if you wait that two weeks, you can generally end up avoiding much of the regret or or, more that you would or guilt you would end up experiencing anyway. And the other, the other nice thing, that the waiting the two weeks doesn't, it can be more than two weeks. In fact, if you super want to be sure, you know, <laughs> if it's like a major purchase, like a vehicle or a house, you can wait, you know, four weeks. And so- Although I'm these just,
1: days they tell you to, you know, hurry up and make a decision. That house won't be there tomorrow. <laughs> uh,
2: um, well, yeah, and there, there can be there can be some, some truth in that. I was a business major, like I said earlier in the first half of the show, and I took a marketing class. And that's one of the major- major marketing approaches is p- causing people to feel like they need it right now and that it's not going to last, you know, yeah, creating um,
1: that urgency.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah. And so this won't be here tomorrow. You know, you're going to lose it. And, and I, I'll invite people to consider that most of the time when you want to buy something, have you ever noticed that you can almost always find a good deal? It's not that you wanted to buy this and suddenly there were all these good deals that weren't there before. It's that you want to buy it, but people are successful at marketing and they cause you to feel like you're getting a good deal, even when you're not. I mean, just think about it. Anytime you want to buy something, you almost always are going to be just overwhelmed with marketing that makes it seem like like you need to buy this and, and it's a great deal. And it's just not mm-hmm. the case. So so what so there are good deals though. I mean, that's right. the thing. You could you could be listening and saying, Well, are you saying there's never good deals? No, there are good deals. So then the question becomes, well, how do you determine? when something is or isn't a good deal. And that requires doing your research. That's the only way to know. And so when you do your research or excuse me, when you wait those two weeks or four weeks, that's when you can do your research to determine whether, whether it's a good deal or not. And I'll just give you, I'll give you a a story from our, from my life. Um, As we had a van, my family grew, we outgrew the van. We had to move to a 15 passenger Passenger van. I don't know anything about vehicles. I'm not handy. You know, I take my vehicle places to get the oil change, things like that. And so we had to get a new, we had to get a van. And I just had no familiarity with the market or what was going to be a good, a good price or not. And so I start this Excel spreadsheet, and every day I'm kind of adding the new vehicles that I find to this spreadsheet. And there were times that it was definitely tempting, you know, to want to buy something. And then later kind of looking back and realized that probably wasn't a good deal. I'm glad that I didn't buy it. And so I've got this spreadsheet with all the, you know, Ford and, and Chevy and Dodge, all these different vans and kind of my own little formula for mileage and year to show me whether it's a good deal. And I'm adding vans every day as they come onto the market in the area sure. to the spreadsheet so that I get to this point where I felt like I had incredible familiarity with what, what and most stuff, most stuff is about the same price. And so then suddenly this one day there's this van, that just like shoots off the page in terms of, you know, the price and the miles and and the year and in turn in a good way. And so I thought it was a mistake actually. And so I called this gentleman and he said, boy, you, you, this is fast. I mean, I just listed that thing and you called me and I said, well, I'm concerned that this is not accurate or is this, or is this correct? And he said, yes, it is. And I said, can you just kind of tell me the story and he said the van belonged to a restaurant the restaurant wasn't using it the, the owner of the restaurant I'm his friend and he wanted me to get rid of it and so he he just said why don't you sell this and and ask this amount of money or something and I don't know the restaurant owner but he clearly had no idea how much more money he could have made from this van so it was about four hour three hours from us and I told this guy I said okay well I like I like to buy it and I don't want to drive there if you might sell it out from under me. And he was a nice guy. And he said, if you, if I won't take any other offers, I said, I'll leave right now. I'm, I'm on my way with my dad to pick up this man." And so we get there and I had talked to him only like two minutes after he posted this thing. And so he had the next three, four hours as I was driving there. And he said, like, he said, this must be a good deal because there's like 50, 60 people that have all called in that wanted to buy it. And, wow. and yeah. And so I said, well, I really appreciate you. You just happened to, to
1: be the first.
2: Yeah, I said, well, thank you for you know holding on to it for me like you did, and my but my major point is, it, it was research that allowed me to determine that that was a good a good deal. I wouldn't know that otherwise.
1: Well, not and only s- that, but you had you were you were doing business with a man who clearly had integrity because he could
2: have sold it from under you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did appreciate him. Yeah, doing definitely. that, and I when I got there, I didn't try to haggle with him. I just I went there and you know gave him the cash for that. And so that's, uh, my whole point is research is what allows you to, you know, ensure you are actually getting a good deal because there are good good deals out there. Uh, and that is how you can know when to spend money. Um, and generally, I've noticed marriage problems associated with finances. And so, you know, God gives us a spouse, marriage is a blessing and a gift, and we should talk through things together. And one of the, I've seen people have marriage problems from making, finances are one of the most common problems in marriage. You have people who, if you're if you're fortunate you'll have two people who are pretty similar they have the same view of debt they have the same view of spending but often it's not the case there's usually one person that's more frugal than the other and one person that's more comfortable spending money
1: oh, and absolutely so what,
2: <laughs> and so that's why it's important if you can talk together then you can often uh those people you know the strengths accompany the weaknesses and they can complement each other to make sure that the purchases you're actually buying are good ones. And you're not being given over to that one person's dominant um, spending problem.
1: Exactly. Well, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that story. And and from that, I, I want to kind of uh, lead, I want it to go into the topic of debt, because I think when most people buy a car, like you said, you, you gave them cash, but when most people buy a car, they have a loan.
2: So what, what do you think about debt? Good. I'm, I'm really glad to have this opportunity to talk about this. So I'm going to set mortgage debt, debt for a home aside, and say that all other debt categorically should be avoided. Credit card debt. And if you use a credit card that you pay off each month just to build your credit, that's one thing. But to me, that's not really, that's not really debt because you're paying it off before it accrues interest. Uh, automobiles, I think, are one of the most worst investments that people can make, new ones at least. There's nothing where you can lose money that quickly except like at a poker table. I mean, you've, you've <laughs> got to go gamble in a casino to lose money um, as quickly as you do when you drive that new vehicle off the lot because it immediately, you know, uh, decreases in value. And I think people have heard that many times, but they still continue to buy new vehicles. Now,
1: I think people do- like the idea of having a new car a new house, a new building, you know, that you just, you know, you got to decide what's on the floor and what's on the Mm -hmm. ceiling and whatever, you know, whatever it is, that newness is so attractive that people are willing to pay premium for it.
2: Mm -hmm. And one thing I would say is if, if you want a new vehicle, you can buy a used vehicle that's still new and that it doesn't have many miles. You can go buy a used vehicle. That's a 2022 or 2021. That's still a new vehicle. It's just you're not the first owner of it, and so if that's you're at, and I'm I'm, um because I said I'm not handy and I don't I don't know how to work on vehicles, I will even though I think I'm pretty frugal, I still try to buy newer vehicles or vehicles with lower miles because I don't want to break down on the side of the road with my family and have to try to get under and fix fix whatever's yeah, wrong. You,
1: you can't carry nine children.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and so so I would definitely I'm definitely opposed to debt. I think it's one of the biggest biggest. um hindrances to people financially. And I get why it seems so attractive. You can buy things with money that you don't have. the And so I'm, I'm opposed to all debt except for investment debt on properties. Okay. And now if we briefly talk about that first, people are convinced they can't buy a house with cash. And I just want to say that's not true. I'm not saying you have to buy a house with cash, but I am saying we've seen some people and you want to, you want to hear some stories. So I'll share two of them. There's a gentleman in my church. And he gave me permission to use his name because uh, I put it in my book, so I'm sure I can use it. Use it here in the show. His name's Robert Cunningham, his wife, Katie, and they, have the, they had five kids at the time. And they're living in this, I'm not joking, a broken down motor home while he's built, they put that on the property while he's building the house there. And so he, as he got the money, then he continued building the house. And so he built that, that house with cash. We, we know another couple and they had seven kids in one bedroom. And while they were saving up the money for their house. And so there's a, a couple, they kind of lived in their parents' um in their parents' attic and they didn't they didn't do anything, they didn't spend anything, they didn't go anywhere, you know, for I think only two or three years until they saved up enough money to buy their first house with cash too. Now, mm-hmm. I think I think what people think is they have to buy their dream house. And the approach I would recommend is you buy the first house and then you save more money, and then you sell that house and you kind of it can be in stages like that. Maybe you live in that house for five, 10 years, and your dream house is the house down the road. You don't have to jump right into your dream house when you're 20, 25 years old or something like that. Yeah. Um, but if you, well,
1: I, I know people who've, who've also downsized, you know, they've bought a house It had a lot of equity, they sold it and, and then bought something else with the equity, and so they had no payments at that point, or somebody who maybe. Took a a thirty year mortgage and made it a fifteen year mortgage. So there are ways to accelerate that paying off uh, process without creating more debt.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if if people are going to get debt, I would say mortgage debt is the is the debt to have because it's an appreciate. It's a debt that can appreciate or increase. It right. doesn't always. I mean, we we've seen that when in two thousand seven, right. two thousand eight, when. who who knows how many people were under, were um, upside down. And actually the number of people who were upside down continued, not just into 2010, but even like, you know, 2015, there were still plenty of people who were upside down. So it's not a guarantee that every time you buy a house, it's always going to appreciate, but that's one other time when research is really good because you can look for those times. Absolutely.
1: Uh, Absolutely. You know, I, I, really appreciate you coming on today, sharing your expertise, your knowledge, And talking a little bit about your book and and giving our listeners some wonderful tidbits of, uh, of information. Um, I have, I have one other question for you that I I like to ask all my uh, guests is what advice would you give your 20 year old self? If you were to look back when you were 20, what, what advice would you give them knowing what you know today?
2: Yeah, I I appreciate that. And I think I wish I would have started following the Lord earlier. I wish I would have Someone would have shared the gospel with me, or would have pointed me toward church earlier, um, and so I wish I would have started reading the Bible, which contains you know the principles, whether for finances or for marriage, that I think allows us to have you know successful relationships or steward our our money well. And so if I could go back, I'd look at my you know non-religious secular self and say, hey, you know your life, you could avoid a lot of problems and have a lot more peace and joy if you were to you know, throw yourself into a relationship with Christ earlier earlier in life. I did later, but I, I wish it would have been earlier. So
1: <laughs> well I really do appreciate you sharing that. And once again, let's go ahead and share your information so that our listeners can get in touch with you and a copy of
2: your book. Good thanks, Fazio. So my book is Your Finances God's Way, a biblical guide to making the best use of your money. People can find it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, wherever books are sold. And then um, Your Marriage, God's Way is my marriage book published last year, uh, Biblical Guide to Christ-Centered Relationships. And then my website, scotlapierre.org, that's where people can reach out to me. I have a free gift to your listeners, a free a free marriage, more like a booklet there that they can download. Um, and I'd love to hear from them. There's a contact page there if they have questions, or I can pray for them in any way. Again, that's scotlapierre.org, and I believe you'll put the website in the show notes.
1: Uh, yes, uh, we will We will actually have a, a banner on our website Uh, with your website information. So they can definitely access that. Um, So I really want to thank you, Scott, for being on the show today. And if you're looking to get in touch with me, uh, you can feel free to go to my website, executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Once again, you can subscribe to uh, Executive Function Magazine there. Our next issue comes out July 10th. So it's coming up very quickly. Uh, if you want to get a copy of that, make sure you go subscribe. There, it's a two-step process. You would like, Once you subscribe, you'll receive an email. You need to confirm that email. Otherwise, the email from my end will not go out to you. Uh, and if you'd like to see a copy of what Scott and I did today, a behind-the-scenes behind version, you can go to our YouTube channel. You can also listen to the podcast at a later date on the website as well. So we have lots of options for you. Uh, and once again, I want to give a quick shout out to all our listeners. I really appreciate you listening to us. And um, if there's any questions that you have, feel free to um, go to our website and um, we, we would love to hear from you. Once again, um, executivefunctioncoachaz.com and we will um, we will be happy to chat with you guys next time and have a wonderful week.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern time and 9 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.